Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Realtor Talk. Today I've got an old friend of mine, Natasha Jane, on the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Tash. Um, why don't you firstly introduce yourself to anyone listening or watching and explain who you are. Sure. Well, hi Lloyd. Thank you so much for having me on. I am Natasha Jane. I'm originally from the UK, but currently living in Hong Kong and I've been here for about three years. I'm an actor in Hong Kong, predominantly involved in theatre, but also commercials, voiceover, radio presenting and teaching. Okay. So yeah, it sounds very interesting. You're, you've got fingers in quite a few, few pies. Uh, how, how do you find living in Hong Kong? And uh, how, did you, how did you cope with like moving to a foreign country as an expat? Yeah, good question. Um, Hong Kong is an amazing place. You know, it's an incredibly fast paced city, you know, but one that tends to continually surprise you. You expect it to be all skyscrapers and flashing lights and luxury malls, but actually there's a much softer side to it. And there's a lot of natural beauty with the beaches and mountains and reservoirs. And, and there's something for everyone, which I really love about Hong Kong. Um, having said that, uh, uprooting your life to move abroad uh, is not without its challenges. Um, and when I first moved here, there was definitely an adjustment period in terms of culture, language, food, cockroaches. Oh my God, you never get used to the cockroaches. Um, and whilst you're getting used to all of these things you're also essentially grieving an old life that doesn't really exist for you anymore and missing people can be exhausting so um yeah there were definitely some challenges but you know despite that i think moving abroad has been one of the most liberating experiences i've ever had and it's given me a chance to get to know myself and and have opportunities that i would never have had when i was back in london Definitely. I think it's something everyone should do. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. I've been living here in Dubai for a long time as an expat and I can completely relate to, to what you're saying, Tash, in terms of, of those kind of changes and difficulties. But I think it helps you to, to grow as a person. You, you mentioned stuff like the food and, and the cockroaches, but what are the, you know, the, main, the main pitfalls and kind of difficulties that you, you really encountered? What, what really sticks out in your mind? Yeah, um, I think one of the biggest things you know especially when you're coming to a place where you don't know a lot of people i think one of the biggest challenges was you know making making friends and creating a community for yourself mm -hmm. because back at back at home you know this was the first time i'd moved abroad moved abroad so back home the majority of my friends were from school or university or from the workplace and here you're meeting people with no context and the only thing you really have in common initially is the fact that you live in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So it can be a real challenge to find people that you connect with. And then the next sort of challenge is that even when you do find those people, because it's such a transient place, a lot of people end up moving after a short period of time. So I don't know, you kind of have to really learn to let go quite quickly. And I've definitely found that a challenge. Um, but I try to see the positive in the fact that I have lots of holiday homes all over the place now. So that's definitely one of the silver linings. Um, um, I'd say another one, another really big challenge, I guess, is this feeling of not having somewhere to call home um, and that kind of feeling of belonging. I definitely, I was surprised at how quickly I disconnected from the UK when I left it. I was, it was quite um, pleasant in some ways to kind of leave that behind 
but when I came here, this didn't quite feel like home. So you're kind of stuck in the middle and that was definitely, and, and still is quite isolating. You know, you feel that you don't sort of belong anywhere, but again, you've got to try and look at the positives. And I'd always been somebody who wanted to be a, a genuine, you know, citizen of the world, you know, global citizen, whatever you want to call it. And, and that's what this opportunity is. And it isn't going to be without its challenges. So you have to learn to sort of embrace them and accept the fact that it's okay to have several different identities. You know, you don't need to have one um, very structured identity. It can be very evolving. And I, and I really love that. Yeah, definitely. And you know, the, the positives I feel definitely outweigh those, those challenges that you have. And the similarities in Hong Kong are exactly the same as here in, in Dubai, I'd say. Would you, would, now you've been there for three years. Like I've been in Dubai 10 years, for example. I would still call the UK like where I'm from, but now it is kind of like my home. The only real difference is I don't have like family, you know, five minutes away. That's the only difference. Would you? Which would you, okay. That can be okay as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very. It's just a short, you know, plane ride. The the world, obviously not at the moment, but it's a short plane ride uh, over to go back home, as you as you say. Do you feel Hong Kong now? Would you call it your your home? Do you feel like your your you know? a proper citizen of Hong Kong? <laughs> <laughs> um, Hong Kong has been very good to me. So it, yes, it is home. Um, but like I said, I think London is also my home and, and, and I love having two homes and that's okay. And as you said, exactly like, because I don't have family here, um, that will always be, London will always be home. But you know, I think it would be interesting to see if my family moved away, if I would still have that kind of connection to the UK. And I think that says perhaps a lot more about the people that we love rather than the actual places you know things can always feel familiar and that's really lovely um but yeah hong kong's my home i'm, I'm happy yeah. to say that yeah i think i think if you we kind of reverse it almost i had or i have friends like who grew up here so they grew up in dubai and their family was here but then maybe they've moved abroad and then now that their family who used to live here have also moved abroad then they don't have yeah. that connection to Dubai, and then they no longer come back here so I think it's a bit of a different place. So even like I said, if my if my family uh, went out of the UK, then maybe I wouldn't have that connection as well. It would feel more like an alien place after a certain amount of time, and then you're just no longer tied to it any anymore. But yeah, absolutely. let's see what happens with that. <laughs> anyway, um, like so, you, we were mentioning the difficulties. How how did you manage to cope apart from you know finding social clubs and meeting people who are like minded like you? How did you cope? Yeah, I think, I think it's a really good question and, and definitely not one that I probably could have answered when I first got here very easily. But now that I've been here for three years, I think, honestly, the answer is time. I, you just sometimes have to keep going. Um, and there are moments where you will feel incredibly low. And I know I definitely did, but you have to, or I have to remind myself why I moved out here in the first place. And if that reason still feels valid, then you just kind of have to keep going with it. It's always going to be difficult when you come out of your comfort zone, but the, the sort of pro to that is that you're on, a, on an adventure. And no one said that it was going to be easy, right? And I have to remind myself of that every time I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. So I think time makes a, a very big difference. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, I, I know that sounds like a really loose answer, but the truth is, is that kind of as you go along the process, you 
you know, you, you find friends, you find connections, you find little places in the new area that you live in that you love. You find a, a coffee shop that makes you really happy and you start having a lot more, you find joy in the ordinary because you have to, right? That's the survival technique. Um, but it also makes you feel a lot more grateful for the smaller things. So that, that's definitely helped me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's just once you start having good memories in a place, and that does take time, you can't always, you know, make that happen. But once you have good memories and a history um, that, that takes that time, then you start to feel that, you know, that connection with the place that you're living in. Um, I, know you, I know you're also doing some, some stuff on YouTube as well, like these Tash Talks, which, uh, where, where you make videos and talk to, to the wider world. Do you, was that kind of a coping mechanism for you as well? Yeah, definitely. I think with, with the whole thought process of, you know, okay, being in Hong Kong poses certain challenges, but to be honest, if I was back in the UK, I would also have challenges there. And it was that kind of realization that that's part of life, right? Nothing is always smooth sailing, as it were. And that's why I was inspired to um, create Tash Talks. I wanted to set up this sort of YouTube channel um, because I realized that behind closed doors, we were all having personal struggles but we weren't talking openly about it because we don't promote vulnerability as a strength in our society enough. And also because we're so caught up on social media and you know, it's a highlight reel, but we never get to see the kind of truth behind it. So I wanted to kind of have real conversations and address some of the things that I had been through in the hope that others would find relatability in it and know that they weren't alone. Um, and also just to really emphasize the fact that you can have a very wide range of emotions at all times. You know, you can feel equally happy and sad at any given moment. You can feel grateful and disappointed at the exact same moment. And that was okay. And that as humans, we are complex. And I think with social media and technology, whilst it's claiming to connect us, actually it's showing us a very kind of 1D um, perception. And I just wanted to kind of bust that myth as it were. Yeah, and I think definitely over the last few years, that's that's becoming more prevalent. So there's becoming a bit more balance in people talking about the, uh, you know, depression, all of these kind of these aspects of society. And I think with you know, more role models or larger figures, more popular figures in the world discussing it as well, it's opened people to have that conversation and it's not become, you know, a sign of, of weakness, especially, I think, among, among men. Um, oh, it's not. Yeah, definitely. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely not a sign of weakness. It's absolutely a strength. You know, I think there are a lot of leaders across very big businesses who are starting to realize the importance of vulnerability and empathy. And it is a strength. And it's, you know, ironically, it's something that we all possess. And all we're needing to do is kind of talk about our emotions and be forthcoming and articulate about it, which you know, we all have inside of us. And I think if we can learn to um, use that as a skill, I think it would just be wonderful. I really encourage people to do that. Yeah, I think people just need to talk and communicate about their problems and then everyone will be able to get it off their chest and feel much better <laughs> about themselves. That's it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. One of, I think one of the YouTube videos I created about why it was really important to um, have a good fight with your partner and I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of that. So yeah, communicate all the way. <laughs> that's good. That's, that, I, think, well, I think that's going on a lot at the moment with people in lockdown. So. <laughs> Uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about is I know that you've you've been dealing with with pots for quite a few years personally. C 
can you just explain what that is to to people who might not know and and how you've been coping with that yourself yeah sure so um POTS is short for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome sounds very fancy it's not um but it, it's basically it's a, it's a chronic condition uh, that affects your heart rate and um, blood pressure. So uh, hopefully an ordinary healthy person, when they stand up, they would be able to, their sort of heart rate and blood pressure would adjust to allow them to stand up. Whereas for somebody who has POTS, uh, you would faint. Uh, and so that was happening to me. Uh, and five years ago, I was diagnosed with POTS because I was fainting sort of 10, 12 times a day and was just very, very, very unwell. Um, and it was really hard because I was quite young um, and you naturally, you know, kind of have an idea of what your life will look like when you were 25 or 26 and mine changed sort of overnight and I had to quit my job and I was bed, bed bound for, for years, if I'm honest. Um, and it was really difficult and I made the decision to move to Hong Kong um, whilst I was really quite unwell. So it wasn't, you know, perhaps the, the smartest decision looking back but I also again like I said I really got to learn a lot more about myself and I, I think I had the space to um, accept the fact that I was unwell and that my life wouldn't look like I thought it would and it wouldn't look like uh, other people you know my peers for example so there's a lot of good learning in it obviously very challenging don't wish it upon anyone um, it, it's a challenge every single day it's there are never long periods of feeling well which is really hard but you know you make the most of it and that's all you can do right with any of these situations with any challenge you know for anyone dealing with a you know everyone's dealing with a challenge at the moment right with covid um and all you can try and do is try and see the positive in it and for me it was about i got out of the corporate world i'm now doing something that i absolutely love i don't think i would be doing it if i was um still you know if I'd still been healthy um, and just kind of you know taking a moment to take stock and, and basically just change my perspective on a lot of things. Yeah I think that's really inspirational when you know when people don't let something bring them down and, and take on that challenge to, to enjoy life and try, try new things. Do you think that's what really gave you the kick to, to move to Hong Kong and completely change careers? Was, was that like the defining reason you looking back what what made you make that change? Yeah, I mean, that is a really good question. I, there was a very big part of the fact that I hadn't accepted the fact that I was ill. It was always about when I'm well again, I will do X, Y, and Z. And when I'm better, I'll go back to my old life. And then there kind of came this, this point where I wasn't getting any better. And I realized that there was no going back to an old life. It was, you need to move forward. And I can either sit and dwell, and believe me, I dwelled a lot. It was, it was incredibly hard. And whilst it's great to have a positive attitude, I don't want to sort of make light of the fact of, for anyone going through something similar that it, it, it didn't come easily. Um, but it was, it was this, you know, I had a very, I have a very supportive um, partner and he was very keen to sort of make all my dreams come true. And I had this dream and it was like, well, let's just try, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, it already felt like the worst thing had happened. And I was so stuck in this box of working in a, you know, I was working for a large bank at the time and, you know, what my paycheck looked like and what, it, what I looked like to the outside world. And when something happens to your health, you realize that nothing, none of that stuff is important. And, you know, I thought I was so important at work. I was like, oh, yes, 
But I'm very, very important. And, and to be very honest with you, I was completely replaceable, which I was. You know, the bank hasn't stopped working because I don't work there anymore. Um, and that was very humbling. And it kind of creates a sense of, I guess, not over planning, you know, because you never know what can happen, that health is the most important thing and that you've got to keep your dreams alive no matter what happens, because that's the only thing that sort of keeps you going forward and moving abroad was one of mine. So yeah, having the kind of illness definitely spurred that on for sure. Yeah, I think you, you raised a couple of really important points there where people, you know, they maybe think that their work or all of this stuff is, is the be all and end all of, of life. I think that's changing and these last few months have really opened people's eyes to that um, compared to what it was before. And also the, the fear of, of failure a lot of the time holds people back. So the what if, what I think what you've done and how you've overcome stuff by you know, taking a bit of risk, people, people find that when they're, you know, I find people say, oh, you were really uh, brave to move over to, to Dubai, for example, um, at, at a young age. I was like, not really. I mean, I could have just got on a plane back home one month later if I didn't like it. Like, try stuff out. People, people worry about what other people think, I think, far too much when actually they're not really thinking about what you're doing at all. And it's better to, it's better to try and fail and, and, and you know, do, do what you love and try. Um, most people who are successful have failed thousands and thousands of times, but you know, at least they've done it. And at some point they do become successful. And uh, you know, I think you're just the embodiment of that kind of, you know, that attitude and, and personality. Thank you. That's really kind of you to say. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, you really hit the nail on the head with this idea that we get so consumed with what people think of us and you're absolutely right nobody is thinking about us and yeah. i think the more we can tell ourselves that not in a not in a derogatory way like oh nobody cares about us but it's just people will say well done when you do something that seems good and people will criticize you and you know point at you when you do something that doesn't seem that great right and that's fine but it, actually it doesn't make a difference even if everybody in the world is laughing and pointing at you for a so-called failure so what <laughs> you haven't got any other choice but to carry on so if you just kind of like push those voices out you will be you'll probably utilize your time much better and you know you talk about sort of failures i'm a very big believer in the fact that actually failure doesn't exist right it, it's a myth it's this word that we overuse and this kind of fear that we have of this failure but actually if we eliminate the word failure entirely from our vocabulary all we'll see is actually that there are just lessons learned, right? There's an opportunity in everything. There's something that we learn. And because we are constantly evolving as humans, what we wanted or the way that we perceive something originally might not be the same several years later. So honestly, I really think that anyone in this situation thinking about moving abroad or taking a risk with whatever it might be, the failure doesn't exist. Just go with it. You'll, you'll, you'll find some joy in the situation in, in one way or another. Definitely, definitely. And uh, yeah, the, those are inspirational words, Natasha. Thanks for, thanks for sharing them. Um, I want to just change tact a little bit. And I know you've been you know, living there in Hong Kong for, for three years now. Uh, since we're obviously on a property podcast, I uh, just wanted to ask, have you thought about looking into property there and settling down? Yeah, yeah, yeah actually. Um, I have definitely thought about buying a property, but very interestingly, the reason that 
I've never fully pursued it is because I'm not sure if I'm ever going to settle down, as you say. Um, and I think that, so yeah, definitely look to properties um, and potentially investing here. But I think one of the biggest challenges is that when you don't know how long you're going to be somewhere, you don't know, it's just hard to make that commitment essentially. And it's such a, it's such a big financial commitment, especially in Hong Kong, property prices are very high. The spaces are very small. You, you've really got to think twice about it. And, and there are definitely moments where I think, gosh, for the price of one property in Hong Kong, you can buy two in sort of, you know, the suburbs of London. And that's something that's a real consideration. So um, that's always been quite a deterrent. And it, I find, I personally have found that it's not that accessible for um, an individual who's a non-resident to purchase a property here and there are you know extra stamp duty costs and things like that so it hasn't ever materialized unfortunately okay that's that's really interesting to hear because we obviously there's a lot of comparables with with dubai with expats as well who are you know it's a transient place as well but people are tending to spend longer in the city and you know people have those same kind of fears. If I'm not going to be staying for long, how long am I going to be in the, the country? Should I invest in the property? So yeah, it's interesting to hear that that's also the same case in Hong Kong. But I think, like you said, there are some, um, there's more initiatives here in Dubai to encourage um, you know, expats to invest rather than charging them extra, for example, on, on stamp duty. But, <laughs> but it's interesting. We, we do have a lot of like people looking to, to move from places like Hong Kong, for example, um, just because of the price point. Like you were saying, the prices in Hong Kong are, are quite expensive, aren't they, per square foot and, and in most other major cities. So D Dubai in comparison has been uh, you know, quite attractive for people looking to live somewhere, especially like high net worth individuals. Um, Oh, well, maybe you and I should have a conversation, Lloyd. We should we should revisit that. <laughs> but as if you want to move over here, <laughs> why not? We take the risk, no fear. <laughs> speaking speaking of the uh, well of Hong Kong, how how has this COVID pandemic really affected the the city? Oh, it's difficult. It's I mean, look, it's difficult everywhere, isn't it? It's a completely unprecedented situation. Um, but I'll tell you something, the people of Hong Kong are incredibly resilient. I'm so impressed by them in every way. When, when, when the COVID, obviously we were one of the first places where it, the, the sort of um, risk uh, sort of came out. And from the moment it did, everyone just seemed to know what to do. Everyone was incredibly respectful. Everyone was very considerate. Everyone was wearing masks. Yeah. We social distanced as much as possible without being told people stayed indoors. And I think that that sense of community has really helped Hong Kong um, in terms of keeping our numbers compared to a lot of other places down. Um, and I really respect the people of Hong Kong for, for having that be the situation. So there's never been a sort of official lockdown, like lots of, you know, obviously schools have closed and lots of businesses have closed and, and it's been very difficult. There's no doubt about it. Um, but as a sort of sort of semi outsider or someone looking at it from a bird's eye view, I think we've dealt with the situation as, as best as possible. There's always things to learn from. There have been mistakes that have been made. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there are people who feel like the government could have done more, but, um, Overall, I think we're in a better situation than a lot of uh, other countries. So we're going with it, I guess, and see what happens. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting to hear, and it seems like they've dealt with the situation really well, well over there. Because uh, I was, I was, you know, unsure how they they deal with the situation, considering the the social unrest that we'd see, been seeing last year, especially. But it seems like all the citizens, like you said, the the kind of team spirit of the city, everyone's got on board with it. How, did, did were you finding were you finding that surprising to see like everyone was you know listening to what the government was saying considering they'd been at odds with each other just you know six months before i think uh, i mean it's a really good question i my perception my personal perception is that a lot of what has saved hong kong in terms of having much lower numbers is not necessarily because the government told us what to do and we did it it was everyone took their own personal responsibility in the situation i think it came from the people of hong kong and so i think actually the government have been really lucky uh, in how uh, sensible um, hong kong has been as a community um, yeah, obviously you know look the social unrest it, it, look it's still there it hasn't it hasn't gone away it, it maybe died down slightly but that kind of frustration um and the underlying problems haven't gone away and there is a very big potential for it to come back as soon as hong kong fully opens up again because people are fighting to be heard right and i think this is the case wherever you might be people want to be heard and when they feel like they aren't being heard, it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, conversely for the government, there's, as with all governments, there are things that are happening behind closed doors that we as the general public will never have full access to. So that kind of lack of communication makes for a very unpleasant situation. Um, it, you know, it's very much like a, a child and parent situation where the parent, you know, as, as a grown up, they have so much more information and, understanding of the world perhaps but if you don't explain it to your child or you don't listen to your child in a way that works for them you're going to have this kind of upheaval so you know no one can say what's going to happen um it, it was very difficult last year for a lot of people the atmosphere in hong kong has definitely changed mm -hmm. but like i said it's a very resilient place and i continue to to be impressed by what everyone is doing and i say it in that way because it would be ignorant of me to sort of disregard the fact that I, I have a privilege, right? As an expert, I have a privilege in that I can leave at any point um, that I want and I don't want to ignore that fact. So a lot of what I'm saying is very much from an expert's point of view. I can't speak for the people of Hong Kong who are born here and brought up here and who are going to stay, you know, for a lifetime here. Mm, that's that's an interesting insight because it yeah it will be it would be interesting to speak to someone who's a who's a you know a national of Hong Kong and what their kind of opinion was on that also. Um, in in Hong Kong, I know you you've been doing a lot of work as an actress and and a director, and you were talking about working in a bank before. I know you did a law degree. How did it come about that you just completely decided to change tact and and move into to the acting industry? Yeah, <laughs> I think my parents would like to know that too. Um, no, I'm kidding. They're very supportive. Um, you know, look, I think, it, and I, I touched on this before, we are evolving as humans. I don't believe that a decision that was made at the age of 16 years old is going to necessarily be correct for me at the age of 31. And I'm very aware of that. So I think it's fine for us to change our minds and dip in and out of things. I also think that we are part of a generation where we will have several careers in our lifetime. You know, our parents' generation perhaps 
they would work in one company and they work their way up and that was very sort of um, normal for them. Whereas I think that our generation, the next generation is going to come in and out of things that they like as they evolve. And for me personally, you know, I have always loved theatre. I've been involved in theatre and acting from quite a young age, but never sort of seriously. And when I came to Hong Kong, it was a combination of, well, this dream of moving abroad has come true. What other dream can come true? And it felt like the right time to take that risk, especially because I had had some health problems and I wasn't keen on going back to um, a corporate environment. It just wasn't for me. Um, so I wanted to try and pursue acting because I love it. Um, and I knew that there would always be potential risk of it not working out. Of course, you know, I'm not uh, trained as such. Um, I'm basing it all on experience I've had. But what was the worst thing that was going to happen? You know, I'd already been in this situation where I had to, to quit something I loved previously. Uh, so I went for it and I started networking. I started meeting people. I paid my dues, you know, I really did when I first got here. Um, and there are times when you definitely stop and think, gosh, you know, why am I doing this? This is really hard and it's not stable um, and it's not consistent. But then I remind myself that there were times when I worked in an office sort of nine to five, wishing that I could have a freelancer life. So, you know, there's, the grass is always greener. Um, and I think you have to constantly ask yourself, like I said earlier, why you're doing what you're doing. And if it still feels right, then you keep going and know that feelings of discomfort are just part of the process. Um, so yeah, that's why I decided to <laughs> pursue acting. Okay. Yeah, no, it is, it is really interesting. And I see so many parallels with like my line of work in, in real estate there, there's ups and downs. You sometimes question what you're doing. There's big highs and, and lows as well. And uh, we touched on, on failing and saying we should eradicate that word and just uh, make it a learning experience. But there is a lot of failure as well in, in the acting industry through auditions and stuff like that. How have you, how have you been able to, to keep the positive mindset and, um, you know, deal with it so that you can keep moving forward? Yeah, really good question. And, and a really good um, parallel that you've drawn, Lloyd, is that you just very much, I imagine, as you guys try to sell properties and sometimes it doesn't work out, is that we go on auditions as actors all of the time. And when you get that rejection, it feels incredibly personal, right? Because it's such a face-to-face -face, um, job. And <laughs> a really good question, how you stay positive. I'm not gonna lie to you, there have definitely been some tears, but you know what, that's okay. That's part of the process, I think the biggest thing is experience, right? The first few times you get rejection, it's going to feel rubbish, of course it is, but the more you experience it, the more resilience you build and the more you realize that actually it's not at all personal, right? Which is what brings me to my next point in that detachment is very important, right? It actually isn't about you. When I go on an audition, if I am rejected, it's not because I'm the worst actor in the world and nobody wants to employ me. It's just maybe I don't look the right part. Maybe I don't look the right age of the character they're looking for. Maybe I'm the wrong gender. I don't know. Like there are so many things and actually it isn't about me specifically. It's just about what they're looking for. And I think it must be very similar in the kind of real estate business where if somebody is looking to buy a property and they say no it's not necessarily because you're not a good agent it's because 
actually it's a huge financial commitment and they've changed their mind or they've changed the area in which they're looking at or they've got some, I don't know, maybe they're getting divorced and finances have suddenly become um, much more difficult. It could be anything. And so keeping that level of detachment when you go to these things, I think is very, very important. Um, yeah, that, I think the parallels there are 100% correct. And yeah, you can, the only way you can really improve is just make sure you have like, for example, in, in our line of work, like the knowledge, the presentation, all of that stuff. If you've done that to 100% and then it's still, there, there's so many other external factors that can be in play, then you can only do as, a certain amount um, as well as you can in, in, the, in the work. And if still they don't want to proceed, then then there's nothing you can do about it. And you just have to kind of take it on the chin because there's always someone else who who's also looking at the same time. Um, I, I know that, you know, um, we work kind of on a consultative basis with, with our clients and we have to do presentations to people. Uh, do you think there's some crossover with like techniques that actors use that could be used to help us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the same way that you're selling properties, we are selling a character um, and we've taken on in the hope that, you know, people will be able to sort of relate to us. And I think that one of the, the really big sort of techniques, as it were, is uh, empathy. You know, as an actor, you're required to put yourself in the shoes of another person and really sell that story, right? So developing empathy in sales is really important too, because if you can understand where your client is coming from, you're gonna be able to relate to them much better. And that rapport I think is, is really important. And one of the best ways to do this is by actively listening. You know, I, I, there are a lot of people in, I'm sure in your business and definitely in my line of work where you can tell, for example, when somebody's on stage and they've learned their lines and they're doing a great job, but they're just there for themselves, right? They're not listening to their, act, their, their, their fellow actors. They're not reacting to their fellow actors. They're just doing a sort of um, their own thing um, in a quite, quite selfish way. And I think it's the same for sales that you need to be listening to what it is that your client really wants to better understand their needs. Um, and then you're able to present your properties in a way that speaks to them personally. So, you know, by asking questions, really important, get, take the time to get them to know them. You know, I think feeling like you're being invested in is such a nice feeling for somebody who's about to invest a lot of money. So I, I highly recommend that. Um, and, you know, when you're listening to their requirements, ask yourself why, they are asking for those things, right? The more you ask why, the better in tune you will be with their needs. So I think that's something that's really uh, key. Another sort of technique is facial expressions and gesture, hand gestures. I know it sounds like a really simple thing, but if you're on a viewing with somebody or you're having kind of a, a consultation with someone and you're sitting there with kind of a sour face or you've got really aggressive hand gestures, you're gonna turn somebody off quite quickly. And that kind of stuff is, is quite difficult not to take personally because it probably is, you know, when you're just kind of having an initial conversation. So you want to avoid people becoming disengaged. So you know, it, doesn't help, it doesn't hurt to, to smile um, and just sort of, you know, being interactive with them. I think that's really key. Um, yeah. Another thing I'd say is, Sorry, you know, yeah. I was, no, yeah I, I, well, I think you've hit the hit the nail on the head there, really, especially with the the active listening. I think that's the the most important part, uh, honestly, mm -hmm. Tash, um, because as soon as you start learning what their requirements are and what their their main drivers 
for, for purchasing a property and what they're looking for out of that property. As soon as you have that, then you can find the one, that property that really suits what they're looking for. And on the flip side that I'm talking more of an end user, if you're looking for an investor, then again, what's driving them? Is it the numbers? Is it the long-term plan for a really good location? And until you really understand that, you can never really provide the right solution that, that fits exactly what they're looking for. Totally. I think that's also a really big part of needing to kind of be authentic. I think that's really important. I think people can get very distracted by what other people are doing in their industry and it's that's what it is it's a distraction and it's not going to help you so I think the more authentic you can be in your own ways and what you're selling I think that's really key as well 100% definitely that's that's 100% true um you know it kind of leads me also into uh, a top five a segment that um I do on this podcast regularly with all the guests uh, since you're you're an actor, I wanted to ask. We we do a lot of social media now in our profession, and it's become a, a key marketing tool. But a lot of people are not really confident being in front of a camera when presenting. Um, can you give like five basic tips that I know you've already given a few, but can you give some tips for people looking to become more confident talking in front of a cam camera and look better when they're making videos? Yeah, <laughs> look better. I'm sure they all look beautiful anyway. But, um, <laughs> you know, look, number one, you've got to keep practicing. You have got to keep putting yourself in front of the camera because that's the only way uh, to get comfortable with it. You know, the first few times I remember when I first, <laughs> I don't remember my first vlog, I think I must have recorded it about 24 times because I was so nervous and uh, I was like scratching my nails or doing something silly all the time. But that's why you practice, right? You've got to be practicing. And, and if you're not comfortable in just doing it in a one take, don't, don't put that pressure on yourself. Take as many takes as it takes. Oh gosh, awfully articulated. But you know, keep, keep doing it until you feel really comfortable with it. Um, the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, it's okay that not everything is perfect. There are, there are times where I've been so focused on trying to make things perfect and I never ever get the content out there and it's so it's it's just really silly so it doesn't matter if you make mistakes that's how you're going to learn once you've made the mistakes you can learn from them and also sometimes when you make mistakes it just makes you more relatable uh, which can work to your advantage so definitely uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes um, number three I've kind of already touched on this but I would really tell people to be authentic you know People can tell when you are regurgitating information or trying to imitate somebody else's style. Um, but the most success you're going to have is when you're being your true self. And it's also what's going to ensure you have consistency in your deliverables. So definitely to try and be as authentic as possible. Um, the next thing I'd say is, is, is really try and be concise. Um, people, in my experience, have very short attention spans. So you want to... Um, you know, if you've got something that's going to take 15 minutes to say, find a way to, to say it in five, keep it short and sweet. Mm -hmm. um, and then how many is that? That's four. Okay, five. Okay, so um, I can't count, but speak clearly and slowly. You know, if your audience can't understand what you're saying, then there's no point in what you're doing. Um, and it sounds like a very simple tip, but actually you'd be surprised how 
fast people end up speaking and inarticulate they are because they're nervous so just kind of slow it down um, and just you know overall be, be make, make sure that you're somewhere where you're comfortable that there are no distractions there are no loud noises and and that you always look presentable um, and it never hurts to just check your teeth you know nobody needs to know what you had for lunch so those, those would be my main tips <laughs> that's that's really useful Tash and I think those are yeah some really informative things for people looking to start out on videos or looking to improve the content that, that they're putting out you mentioned talking slowly and articulating um, a lot of people maybe it's not their first language if they're say doing a video in English or they they speak really quickly because it's not their native tongue do you recommend people take speech classes um. I mean, look, I think that self-development is a great thing. And I think that if people are keen to improve their communication skills because they feel perhaps a little insecure about it, then it's definitely worth pursuing. Yeah, for sure. I think that there are a lot of things that you can do on your own at home. But if you're also somebody who needs kind of a, a little extra push, you need some guidance, then yeah, absolutely. I think self-development is really great. Okay, great. And, and one more thing I wanted to ask you actually is your, I know you're, you're doing a new initiative at the moment with this Unwind with Natasha and you're using some of your acting methods. Uh, why don't you explain to, to people what it is and you know, how you're helping people with anxiety and, and de-stressing at the moment? Sure. Um, so look, with everything that's going on uh, in the world, there's definitely one of the biggest themes that I was kind of seeing across people I was speaking to was a sense of anxiety and you know confinement and just feeling very stressed and uncertain about the future so I basically wanted to create something that was fun and relatable and that people could do from home um, so the idea behind these sessions that I've created is to help people to de-stress and unwind and essentially energize you uh, all of which I really believe are essential for um, developing emotional resilience, which is often the reason that we end up feeling, you know, anxious and um, unhappy and, and things like that, is because we don't have that kind of emotional resilience. So I wanted to focus on that. And a really key way of doing this is by using our imagination. It's such a, an underutilized tool and somebody who has found such benefit in it, you know, by using our imagination um, as actors, I wanted to sort of, I guess, pass that skill on. Um, so we use, I use fun and playful theater techniques to tap into people's imagination and kind of get them outside of their own head and hopefully left with this kind of feeling of catharsis. Um, and you know, drama techniques are renowned for, for providing this sense of emotional release. So I'm drawing on my experience as an actor to guide people through these sessions and, and hopefully they feel a lot better afterwards and better prepared for the days ahead. I, I think it's a great initiative that you're doing and really helpful to a lot of people. Um, why don't why don't you share out the you know the social media handles, YouTube channel, etc., where people can find you on so that they can take part? Sure. So my um, Instagram handle is J A I N E Y J A I N. So Janie Jane. Um, my uh, email address is N for November, V for Victor. J-A-I-N-1-5 at gmail.com. So you can contact me if you're interested in any of these sessions. And my YouTube channel is um, youtube.com forward slash Tash Talks. So all very different things, but they work for me, so why not? 
Okay, if you're watching on, on YouTube, I'll make sure that's in the description below. And I just want to thank you for your time, Natasha. Thanks for coming on. It's been really great to have you. No, you're so welcome, Lloyd. This has been so much fun. And, and thank you for inviting me on here. It's been, it's been really lovely. No problem. And thanks for, for listening or watching on whichever plat you, platform you're, you're using. And check out the next episode of Real to Talk when it comes out. Thanks for watching.